So first thing we're going to turn to is Matthew 13, 45. Um, and I was told last week that I say the scriptures too fast. So I'm going to slow down for you this week. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. I get excited and I just want to start running into it. So Matthew 13, 45 is, is what we're going to kind of play with here this morning. I, it's, it's interesting. A lot of times my sermons actually have a build to them. So I kind of start somewhere and then end somewhere. And today I just have a thought. I just have this one thing that's like this. <laughs> so we'll play with that for like 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and then, and then we'll jump out of here. So um, take notes because I think sometimes when you just put the thought out there, it's good to unravel it and wrestle it in your own life and all that kind of stuff. So take notes of the scripture and, um, and then play with it a little bit this week. So Matthew 13, 45 says this, a parable, says, again... The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. So the example is of a person who's out to find beautiful pearls. Verse 46, it says, Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this person is seeking something that's valuable to him. And when he finds it, when he finds the value, when he finds the significant thing, when he finds the thing that enhances or brings value to his life, he disregards all else and goes all in on that thing. So I think the parable here is talking about when you find the significant thing in your life. So for us as Christ followers or those seeking God, when you find the way of God, when you find the goodness of God, when you find God in your life, what should happen is all of the other things surrounding your life should not be as significant. You should say, I've found my precious thing. I've found my valuable thing. Uh, the rest of these things can either be sold or traded. And I'm not talking about go home and sell your cars and your houses. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the desire for them should not rank higher than the beautiful thing, the pearl. That's why we get up here and sing, you're beautiful. We, we just, you know, all these kind of things is because our relationship, our destiny, our things of God are the most beautiful thing. It's the most incredible thing. And so it said, when he had found what he was looking for, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of God is the priceless thing in our life. The kingdom of God, if you're not familiar with the phrase, the kingdom of God or the way of God here on earth is the most priceless thing you can be a part of, you can be connected to. It's, it's absolutely incredible. When you walk in the goodness and the fullness and the provision of God, it's the most precious thing in your life. Somebody say amen. We sing songs like Amazing Grace. I once was this, but now I'm found, and it's the most amazing thing, right? And so the kingdom of God is the most priceless thing. We are people of tremendous destiny. I mean, honestly, if you could even peel back one thought of the millions and billions and whatever trillions of thoughts that God has towards you, if you only knew one of those, you, you, your mind would be blown because we are people of such tremendous destiny. The things that God wants to do with you and through you and for you, you, you can't even come close to understanding. And the scripture is full of all these promises that say, my promise is to give you a future and a hope and that you can do all things through Christ your strength. We know a lot of them, but if we could really peel back the veil and see the tremendous destiny that God has for us, even when you just look at Jesus coming and dying on the cross to buy us back, to God, to reconcile us back to God. That thought of everything that God did to be back in relationship with us, insane, tremendous destiny we have, uh, greater than anything you could think. But the trouble is, a lot of times in Christianity, our walk sets up like this. We want as much of God as possible, 
but we want to walk the line with as much of the world as possible. We try to make this blend of, I want as much as this. I want to push the envelope as far as I can in the things of the world. And I'm not talking about just having things. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm talking about the edge of secularism and how we think and our thought patterns and what we get away with. We want as much as that sometimes, and then we want as much as God, and it doesn't work like that. That's why the scripture says when he found the, the beautiful thing, when he found the significant thing, the other things didn't, didn't add up as much. They didn't have as much value. It didn't mean as much, and he went and sold, and, and he separated himself from these things because this thing was the best thing. Somebody say amen. God's promise for our life should be bigger than any pressure or attraction of the world. Uh, good thought to wrestle with right there. Again, uh, I, and you guys have probably heard me preach the last couple of weeks. Uh, I typically don't just throw thoughts like this, but, but I'm just going to do it today. And then we can wrestle with them this week. So the promises of God, the things that he has for you, should be greater than the pressure or the attractions of the world. And it goes like this. The, the point of me saying that is this. Um, Anything short of or unrelated to your destiny or your purpose with God should make you unsatisfied and look unattractive to you. So, so when you, okay, so that's the thought here is that um, the promise, the pressure of the world, when the world says you should fit like this or it should be like this or you got to have it like these people or you got to do it and say it like this. That should be so unattracted to you because you understand the incredible purpose and destiny that God says and thinks about you. Somebody say amen. And so uh, I guess I haven't even set up the message. So today when we talk about there's a place for everyone, God has a purpose and an incredible destiny for you. Your place is so much bigger than you could even ask, think, or imagine. And it's so great that all of the other pressures and attractions and things of the world that they try to pitch to you shouldn't even be attractive because when you have your eyes on your destiny, when you consider the things that God has for you and the purpose, all those things fall short. They all fall short. And so anything short or unrelated to your destiny should make you unsatisfied or look unattractive. To live holy is to live in your promise or your purpose, or as the scripture said, is your pearl. In your life, to live in relationship with God. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. We're not getting up here and saying, you must live perfect and holy and righteous, because we all miss it and fall short of the glory is what the scripture says. But to live considering what God has in your life, to live intentional with the thought of God has this, and I'm going after all the things that God has promised to me because that's the precious thing. That's how we should live. That, that, that's the best way to live. Somebody say right on. So Lamentations 1.9. Let's, let's wrestle with this a little bit. This is fun. I heard this scripture and I was like, whoa. Uh, my mind was kind of blown on it. So Lamentations 1.9. I'll give you a minute to turn there and then we'll look at a couple different translations of it. Lamentations 1.9. says this. It says, her uncleanness in her skirts... She did not consider her destiny, therefore her collapse was awesome. So she had uncleanness in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny, therefore her collapse was awesome. Uh, the NIV version says it like this, and then I'll explain it. It said, her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was no one to comfort her. Look, Lord, my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Here's what I love about this scripture. It said that her collapse was great, not because sin. The scripture said her collapse was great. Her fall started. Why? 
because she didn't live in a way that she was considering her destiny. She fell into sin because she lived in a way that she didn't consider the fact that God has something for her. She fell away from the things of God and she fell into this lifestyle and ended up uh, living an unclean life. Why? Not because sin overtook her, but because she allowed sin into her life. Because why? Because she didn't have her eyes on what God has for her. That's easy to do in America. That's easy to do in the world that we live in. It's easy to take our eyes off the idea that, that God is pulling you into something and encourage you into something and taking you forward and encouraging and building you and building. It's easy to take our eyes off where God is trying to put us and listen to where the world thinks we should fit. And when you do that, that's how sin enters. That's how you fall short. Why? Because you didn't consider the things that God has for you. And I think it's so easy when we're talking about finding our place and what's our purpose it's easy to miss the point and miss our purpose simply by not considering the fact that we have a point and a purpose. Uh, you heard me say the last couple of weeks, uh, we always say uh, the largest gap in the world is between what we know to do and what we actually do. The largest gap in the world is between what we know to do and actually, what does that mean? It means we all know that we should be going after these things and trusting God for these things, but we don't keep our eyes on those prize, that prize and we miss it. Uh, I was with someone uh, from the church. We had a lunch, and he's a great businessman and um, running all kinds of companies and ridiculousness. And um, we were sitting at lunch, and he was talking about how he was at a leadership session. And I was thinking about the sermon. He was saying, all these great businessmen are there. And, and he says, you know, how many of you have a dream? How many of you have a, a passion? How many of you have in, uh, you know, the whole room? Oh, yeah, we're going to change the world. I'm going to be a part of that. Uh, we all are going to take over the world. And then uh, literally, how many of you in here have a documented plan? And 10% of the room raises your hand. <laughs> he says, you're idiots. <laughs> you have nothing. You know, if you don't have a plan on how to get there, if you don't have a purpose, if you don't have a structure, if you're not considering your destiny and your purpose, then you're going to miss it. It's so important for us to know that we have a place in the things of God, but, but what is it? Are we staying focused on it? Are we considering it? She lost sight of her purpose because she took her eyes off the destiny. Um, we have to take time to consider our purpose. We have to take time to consider our destiny. And uh, I know that's a very general thought, but my point today is this. We need to consider it in our everyday lives. So same thing as what we said to the business guys. Hey, what's your plan for your family? Well, I want to raise great kids. You know, I want the kids to serve the Lord. And, you know, I want them to, okay, so like, what's your detailed plan to do that? Uh, right? Because I'm in that boat. We're all in that boat. Okay, so your finances, you know, so your family, you know, how are you going to spend your money? How are you going to do your, well, you know, we want to honor God with our giving and, you know, we want to build the kingdom and we want to, okay, so what, what's your plan to do that? I'm not sure yet. And that's okay. I'm not here to condemn. We're all in a different path. But what I'm saying is God looks at those things and, and, and that's how he jumps in. That's how we allow God into those things is when we consider the purpose and the plans that God has for us. When we keep them in front of us, that's how we attain them. Uh, my mom used to always say to us, Growing up, uh, one of the speakers or mentors we listened to, and I think I've said it in a few services too, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. And so that's an easy goal. You know, you aim for nothing, you're going to hit it every time. So literally when you don't have a plan, that's the easy thing to hit because you didn't aim for, you know, you aim for nothing, it's pretty easy to hit. Um, some of you that'll sink in later. <laughs> but, but that's easy. We do that all the time. At the end of a season of our life, you look back and you go, what did I accomplish there? Nothing. Why? What, did, what were you aiming for? Well, I guess I never set out to hit anything specifically. And um, 
I had a, when I was a youth pastor, we moved down to North Carolina and I was really young. I was about 24, 23 years old. And um, we had a executive pastor. Now to me, I'm very relational, um, very, very relational and love to hang out and talk to people and talk all the time. And uh, as a matter of fact, yesterday, <laughs> we went to two dinners. That's how much we love going out with people. We went to a dinner at five o'clock. And then when we got done, we got in the car and we drove to another restaurant, went to another dinner with another couple. And, um, and, I, and, that, and I would do it again because I just love hanging out with people. And, um, and so I'm very relational. Well, I went to this church and it was a much larger church than what I experienced, probably about quadruple the size. And there was an executive pastor there on staff and he tucked in his shirt, you know, like he was that kind of pastor. <laughs> and um, and uh, so we get there, and, and man, we're new to the city, and we love people, and we love the youth group and the kids. And so I'm going to the schools, and we're hanging out with teenagers. And, and so I'm in the first month, and he pulls me into the, into the office, and he says, hey, we want to implement one of our systems to you. So he gives me a goal sheet, and he says, uh, hey, we need you to come up with three goals. You know, here's the goals. That, that you think you're going to accomplish this year with the youth ministry. And uh, I said, oh, three goals. Are you kidding me? I'm going to accomplish a hundred things. This will be easy, you know? And so I fill out my three goals and turn them into them. And then he says, okay, we got this thing that goes with the goals. And uh, so, okay. He said, it's called a status report. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I can do a report. That's easy. And uh, the way that the status report goes is at the end of the month, uh, you basically put in all the things that you did kind of as a youth ministry. And then underneath that tab, uh, are your three goals, and you're supposed to correlate all of the activity of the youth ministry into those three goals. And so um, I would get, so my first month, I, I take that top box, and it says, what did you do for the year? And we were busy, or for the month, and so we were busy every weekend, and we renovated this, and we did all these things, and we were super busy and active and relational and in the schools, and we were, we were doing a lot of good things. It's not like we were slacking. And, um, but then when I dropped down to the other three goals part, the questions were like, how does this stuff relate to your goal? And I was like, oh man, you know, like, like kind of does here. I met with a few people that might help us in this goal and whatever. And it didn't really relate. And so I turned it into the executive pastor and, uh, and went in there and turned it into him. And he said, I walk out of there, like, he's going to be so proud of me. We just, you know, look at that, that nobody was as busy as we were. We were up here every weekend and we had all these events and you know, I'm, he's going to send this thing back and I'm going to get a raise and a car and this is going to be so good. And, and, uh, and so, and so he sent it back, he put it in our box. And so there it is in my box and, oh, this is going to be great. And I take it out and it is just graffitied in red pen because if you're an executive, you have to write in red pen, right? I mean, like you have to, so he's just basically leaves out everything that I put on the top of the box, just doesn't really address that. And basically addresses how according to the bottom three things for the month, we didn't do anything as a youth group. So if we're saying these three, three things are the very most important things we want to do as a youth ministry, and for that month we don't have much update in it, then it doesn't matter what the top is at all, right? Are you tracking with me? So you can be extremely busy in all of these things, but if you say these three things for the year are most important things, then, then I was... So I learned a very hard lesson in... Um, and my personality grinded with his personality. And so I was like, this guy is stuffy and he doesn't like to hang out with people. And, you know, no wonder he tucks in his shirt. And, you know, so like, just kidding. I don't care about shirt tucking. But anyway, um, actually, we wore a suit there in the mornings because it was the South. And Jess will tell you, my wife will tell you, 
I literally drove to church every Sunday morning in a suit and tie all tied up. And um, suit is very close to noose, just in case you didn't know that. Um, but I was in such a bad mood every Sunday morning simply because I was in a suit. So anyway, um, anyway, that's side story there. So um, yeah, so there you go. So maybe someday we'll have like a Sunday morning suit day. And, uh, and I'll be angry preacher that day. <laughs> so anyway... So my personality, I had to learn, I had to learn about this structure and this, and, and the importance of considering the overall, considering the destiny of the youth ministry. You know, activity, you've heard me say this a lot, is so much different than accomplishment. Uh, and that's what I was doing. We were extremely active as a youth ministry, doing lots of great things, but we weren't accomplishing we weren't, we weren't accomplishing the things that God put in our hearts to set out and do. And I think it's very, very easy for us, especially as Americans, to get so distracted and get off course of all of the things that God overall wants us to do in our lives. Think about the goals and the thoughts and the plans that you've had in life that you've kind of shelved or you've set aside and you've let the average everyday busyness take away from. Um, an example is, is, is really when you, uh, you move into a house. My brother's moving into a house right now. And so it made me think of this when I was writing this sermon. Uh, he's moving into a house right now. And so they have this big list. You all do this when you move into a house. Everything has to be perfect. Everything. So you paint and it has to be perfect. And you have to buy all the right furniture and it has to be in the perfect place. You're extremely detailed about the move-in process. But what happens is you don't get everything done. And so what you said in the beginning, this is so important. This is the most important that we paint this right and put this right. And then you don't get to all of it. And then five years later, did you ever get back to finishing it? No. Why? Because you got into the average. So what was this big, important thing you let the everyday, you know, take away from? And all of you right now are thinking of those rooms in your home that are still unfinished from when you moved in. Uh, the husbands are like, thanks, dude. Way to get me in trouble. <laughs> so... Uh, but that is the same thing in the kingdom of God. Uh, I've, I shared a sermon a few weeks ago called Little is Big. It's the little things that we do that shows our stewardship. And God says, hey, let me come in, be a part of that because you're faithful. And I'll meet you where you're at. And so considering our destiny, keeping our eyes on the things that are in front of us. That's why the scripture says uh, in Proverbs 29, 18, we all know this. The scripture says, where there is no vision, people perish. If we don't look past where, we'll at, where we're at, if we don't have vision, if we don't look past where we're at and consider the things that are ahead of us, the scripture says we perish, we die, we fall away. And it's because we're created in a way to be looking ahead and believing God for the things that he has in front of us. Now you're sitting here, if you were here last week, and you're like, wait a minute, last week you preached about how it's important to look at where you're at. Yes, it's both. You have to be grateful and appreciative and a good steward of where you're at, but God also projects where you're going to go. And when you're a good steward of where you are, God helps catapult you to where you need to go. And so have a vision. Consider what God wants to do in your life with your family, your jobs, your career. Don't just go through the motions. I think we all hate that. At the end of the day, the things that frustrate us the most is that we spend a lot of time on something that really was just going through the motions. But I think this week, if you invite God into your job and your family and you say, God, I'm going to be a great steward of these things, but also give me a vision. Give me a, give me a purpose for these, uh, my family and my job and these things. You're going to be blown away with what God does. Wrote down a couple things about vision. The scripture says that you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. What I love about prayer, 
What I love about prayer is when you're asking God for things in prayer, you're commanding your vision to line up with the things that God says. So when you're considering your destiny and your vision and the things that God wants to do in your life, when you're praying those things out, you're praying your vision into lining up with the things of God. Somebody say amen. Is that right? Is that good? You guys looking at me like, what? Uh, Check this out about vision. These are all good to write down and wrestle with. I know this isn't like the most catchphrasey sermon I've ever, you know, but these are just such good truths to wrestle with. Uh, I like to Twitter quotes, so these are all just good Twitters. (laughs) Vision... Vision is a mental image of your future. Having a vision for your life is a mental image of your future. Vision is a thought that demands response. So you get a vision for something, and and, and God puts something in your heart, and you have an idea, and God bursts this thing in you. Uh, Those things demand a response. It's consider those things. Consider your purpose. Uh, Vision locates your potential and places it in your future. I think God knows, well, I know he knows your heart and the things on the inside of you and your potentials. And he, he knows those things on the inside of you. And the way that he nudges you forward in those things is he locates your potential and he shows you it in your future. This is what you can be. This is what you can do. Uh, I'm taking you where you are and trusting you that you can go into this. Um, vision is the ability to see dangerous or destructive situations before they unfold. Sometimes God gives you visions of things just for you to avoid. Sometimes the way, and so when you're considering your destiny, when you're considering your vision and how you're living, uh, sometimes that's just to keep you from things that you shouldn't be a part of. Um, you know, again, uh, talking with the guy we went to lunch with this week, and he says, uh, you know, his prayer for God is slam the door in front of me. <laughs> like the doors that I'm supposed to open and run through, I'm going to run through them, but slam them hard. So I just slam into them when they're supposed to be closed. Why? Because sometimes, you know, when we're considering our vision, you know, God you're looking ahead. God, what do you want me to walk into? What do you want me to walk into? And when you're considering and praying, God, close the doors I'm not supposed to be a part of, that's how you're successful in life. Somebody say truth. I love this one. And this was a real good one for me as a young person. Vision gives you a reason to push things aside. Vision gives you a reason to push things aside. Um, When I was a young person growing up, I started in the ministry very early. So I'm 30 now, but I was hired at um, my church full-time as a youth pastor right when I graduated high school. So like 18, 19, I was full-time on staff. So um, at that age, though, you're tempted with being 18, and your friends are all turning 21. You have all these pressures. And I promise you, the way that I avoided a lot of downfall and things in my life that would have ruined me off course— was because I was so passionate about the ministry and the things of God that since I had a vision for my life, I was able to push aside the distractions and the things that the world was trying to pull me into simply because I had a vision and a passion and a purpose. Uh, Vision helps you push things aside. Church planting, planting this church for the last nine months, there was (coughs) a lot of distractions and and frustrations and, and, and even honestly just sometimes even anger, just this, ah, But because we had a vision and we could see the finish line, because we knew there was a purpose and we knew what it looked like ahead, it was easy to push aside the distraction. Why? Because we considered the destiny of it. Somebody say amen. And so I think a lot of times in America, people get so distracted and miss it because they just don't consider that there's something out in front of them that God has for them if they simply trust them. Amen? Vision without action. We've all seen this picture on Facebook or whatever. But vision without action 
is a daydream. So it's great if you have all the vision in the world, but if you don't start putting that into action, if you don't do the status report part of it, if you don't start you know, taking a, a piece at a time, then vision without action is a daydream. And then here's a crazy one. Action without vision is a nightmare, right? So you don't have a vision, but you're so busy in all the activity and da-da-da, and that's where we get drained. That's where at the end of the day, you're just beat and exhausted. Why? Because you're just so busy trying to do all this action without a vision, and you're not being led. You're not being led by the destiny and the thing that God has for you. It becomes a nightmare in your life. So important for you to, to project and put ahead the purpose and the destiny that God has for you. A dream without a plan is just a wish. We've all seen that. A dream without a plan is just a wish. It's the status report thing. You, you know, you can have a dream and you can have a plan. You can have a purpose of where you're going. But with, without the plan, it's just a wish. Um, I love this one. And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up in just a minute here with, with some of this. Uh, in between conception and creation is great struggle. So when you're considering your destiny and God drops something in your heart and you're saying, we're going for this and this is how our family values are going to be and this is going to be in between the conception of what God is leading you into and the creation is great struggle. Sometimes before in scripture we saw with Abraham, sometimes before the promised child is a problem child. Sometimes you get the opposite before you get. And so sometimes creation, like I'm saying, Sometimes between conception and creation is great struggle, but here's why. Even Jesus, and I shared this a couple weeks ago, was sent into the wilderness. Some of you might remember me sharing this. In Matthew 4, the scripture says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was following the plan that God had for him. He was following his destiny, and it took him into the wilderness. And 40 days of great struggle, and he was on a fast, and the devil was tempting him. And uh, after those 40 days, it said when Jesus came out of there, Miracles began in his life. When you start reading through the New Testament of all the provision and all the, all the things that Jesus began to do, his ministry started in between the creation, the conception and creation. And sometimes it takes you into that great struggle. But I love this about Jesus in his wilderness. And that in between, the scripture says that he made three decisions I shared with you a few weeks ago. It says that he prayed, he worshiped, he sought God. And in the wilderness, when the devil came to him and doubted. Uh, so check this out. He's in the wilderness. He's on a fast. He's struggling. The, the, the devil keeps coming to him and, and testing him with all these things. And listen to the way that the devil messes with how his vision is. He says things like this. Is it really true that God says this? Are you really the son of... And starts to doubt what? Jesus' destiny, the potential, the vision, the plan. So Jesus is in the wilderness sticking through it keeping his eye on his destiny, keeping his eye on the goal and the purpose. And the doubters are coming in and saying, is it really going to work out like that? Are you sure that you got it all put together properly? Isn't it interesting that that's how it happens in our life too? We have our plans and our passions and maybe you're coming to this church and it's exciting for you and you're telling people about it and they say, oh, it's just really another church in West Michigan. No, it's different. It's another church. Oh, okay, we'll see how that, and we've had that towards us. And it's the same way that Jesus was tempted in his wilderness. He said, are you sure it's really going to be that? But he stuck with it. And then you heard my response last week. Uh, Jesus' response was, I will worship God and worship him only. He actually said, it is written. It is written. I will worship my God only. So you're not going to throw me off of my destiny. Why? Because God said it will happen. Somebody say amen. 
So when he says it's written, what he's saying is this is God's thing, not my thing. I'm just going to keep the course and keep my eye on the prize. Amen. I love this about Noah. So Noah, obviously we all know the story, the flood is coming. So he tells Noah, and he lives in a very godless, sinful generation, and God comes to him and says it's going to rain, and uh, they've never seen rain before. And, uh, and then he also says, hey, build this boat. And uh, the boat, which obviously is insane considering their technology, it's funny how people make a big deal about the accomplishment of the Titanic with all the technology they had. Literally imagine this for him, building this thing. And it took, obviously, forever. So he's building this boat, you know, for 100 years. And uh, he's building this boat, and his kids are aging. And all. imagine going through the explanation of it through every phase of your family's life. So they're a teenager. They're starting to ask those teenage questions. Then they're in adulthood. And it's like, you know what? We really think dad's losing. He's still building that boat for this rain we've never seen. Imagine how much Noah had to consider the destiny and keep his eyes on what was God was doing. Because if he took his eyes off the destiny, sin would creep in. And he would, like we read earlier, uh, he would fall because he didn't consider the things that God had in his life. And what I love about this, at the time that Noah was building the ark, he was a minority. But he trusted God, kept his eyes on the prize. And when the storm was done, he was the majority. Isn't it interesting in our lives, when we feel like we're the minority, nobody gets in, nobody understands. How's it going to work? Oh, they can't do that because don't you know their family history is this? And they're, and they're speaking to you. And they're, isn't it interesting that God has a way when we trust him of silencing our critics? He was a minority, then he became the majority, majority and he had no more critics because <laughs> they were shark bait, right? I mean, like... So Jesus has a great way of when we trust him and we stick to the promise, the critics have a way of going away. Yep. Amen? So don't listen. Don't listen to people when they're, when they're, when they're jumping on you. Um, the devil, I, I heard this thought when I was young, the devil is not authorized to defeat you. Literally, when Jesus died on the cross and Scripture says he went to hell and he took back the keys, he literally lost any uh, trump card or provision in your life. There is no way that, oh, the devil can do this and, you know, the enemy can do this. Uh, we literally have to give him that right. There is no authorization for him to do anything in your life. That's a good, yeah, good amen there. Just hold that. There is no doctrine of defeat for a Christian unless you allow it. And so literally you can walk around knowing that you're unstoppable with God on your side as long as you're walking uh, in the things with him. So there is no doctrine of defeat. That's why Paul said, I get knocked down but I get up again. I get right back up. Uh, it doesn't matter the things that are thrown towards me. I get right back up. Why? Because he had this understanding of there is no close the book when you're walking with God. Uh, that's why he could say uh, to live, to die is gain. Even when I die, even when I die, that's not the end because you have eternity and you're in the fullness of God. And so when we live in this way of when I'm considering my destiny, I know that there is no defeat in my life. God is with me. That's a great place to live. Somebody say amen. I'll go ahead and close with this if you want to come up. A couple of things that I mentioned about Jesus is um, when he was in the wilderness, he made that decision of, it is written, I will worship God. And the scripture says, and I've shared this with you before, three things happened, which I think are extremely important for us to know that this is how God gets behind us. Three things happened when he said, nope, I have my eyes on God. 
I'm going to worship God and worship him only. It is written, I'm going to worship him only. Scripture says three things happened in the wilderness with Jesus. The first thing, Scripture says that the devil left. There was no more, no more back and forth between God and the devil. The Scripture says that angels came and ministered to him. So it says that angels came and ministered to him and built him up. And then as I shared a minute ago, uh, he was able to go and do his ministry and started his New Testament, what we read about Jesus' work he was able to go do out of the wilderness. And it's the same thing in your life. No matter what the enemy is trying to do or take you off course or distract you, if we live in a place that we say, no, I know what God said and I know what the Bible says about my life and for my family, the same thing will happen. The devils leave, angels come and minister and, and miracles begin in your life. Provision happens. God finds you where you're at. And so I'm encouraging you Make that worship decision wherever you are. One more scripture I want to read. Um, Matthew 7, verse 7, it says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. And it is my key word there. It will be open to you. Obviously, we know the writer here isn't talking about actual doors. He's not talking about actual doors that you walk through. Verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. It's the word it again. Verse nine, or what man is there among you if, or what man of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? I wanna point something out here about this word it. The scripture says your it will be open to you. The scripture says when you knock on the door, it will be open to you. So the writer's making it obvious to you, again, not talking about a physical door. It will be open to you in your life. What is your it leaving here this morning? There's a place for everyone. We all have a place. We all have a purpose. What is that place? What is your it that you're knocking and seeking God for? Um, when I would race dirt bikes and, and, and ride our uh, ATVs, we would do the jumps. So like all the big jumps and the big turns and you know all that stuff and chase each other around on dirt bikes. and. One thing they, ch they teach you to do uh, when you're riding motocross is they tell you to ride ahead, uh, visually ride ahead of where you are. And so a uh, little motocross lesson for you. Uh, there's a thing, you know, basically like a rut. Uh, so where a, a, a bike had gone before um, is like a little bit more indented in the ground. And that's actually a good thing. It's because it's sort of like riding a rail. Um, so you put your tire in there and you, you ride it around the turn fast and it kind of locks you in and you can go faster. And they teach you not to put your eyes off of the rut. So a lot of times you'll see the berm turn, or if you look over the rut, you're going to miss the rut. And then when you get out of the rut, it's bumpy. You're going to crash. Same thing with um, when you're going to do a jump or you come out of the turn. Uh, it's very important for you. They tell you to race looking ahead. Because if you look at the thing you don't want to hit, so they put the hay bales on the side, or when you ride through trails, uh, the trees are on each side of you. If you're riding and you're looking at that tree like, oh, I don't want to hit that tree, subconsciously, you actually end up hitting the tree. And it's the same thing like when you race professionally in motocross, when you're all jammed in and you're next to each other, if you're looking like, oh, I don't want to bump into that guy, you bump into that guy. And so they're always telling you, race ahead, race ahead, race ahead. Why? Because your it will be released to you. There's just this thing in us that, that if, if, if we look off at the things, we have this gravitational pull off. 
And uh, that's why sometimes you'll see a car crash. Car goes off the road in the middle of a field and hits the only tree that's there. Because they were like, oh, I don't want to hit the tree. Hit the tree. Uh, because I don't, it's just this weird thing. What you put your eyes on, you go to. So the scripture is saying here, when you, when you go into prayer, be specific. Look ahead. Focus on what you want to hit. Focus on your marks is another thing they tell you. Focus right ahead on what you want to do. Yes, like last week, we're going to be grateful about where we are. But consider ahead where God wants to take you because God created you so incredible. Like we said in the very beginning of this, if you only knew the destiny that God has planned for you and what you're able to do, it's insane. It's, it's, just, it's just nothing we can even comprehend. He's so for you. Uh, I think I shared a couple weeks ago, even the way that we were built as humans, our brains and what we can contain and do and think, we're just, we were created so unbelievable. And uh, what is your it? going forward is what I want you to consider. When you ask and seek God, it, scripture says your it will be released to you. What is that? What are those things that you're considering? And, and, and we just want to pray with you this morning that you get on that page with God, that you either get the confidence maybe to, to, to live out your passions and to go forward with the things that God's nudging you in. Or, or maybe it's, we just pray with you this morning that those critics are silenced and you can just push aside a doubt or yeah you're not good enough you weren't raised right your family's always found a way to screw it up no that doesn't matter you're in a new family the kingdom of God amen why don't you stand and when you stand just go ahead and bow your eyes I want to pray for two different people this morning one is those in here that maybe this is a new concept to you. You've, you've let doubt creep in and push you offside, or you've let your past, or you've let frustration, or how you were raised, or any of those things kind of keep you from your it that God is nudging you into. Maybe you're here and you say, yeah, man, this is for me this morning. I need to, I need to put my eyes on what God has for me and my potential and where God's leading me. Uh, I wanna pray for you with that this morning. And, and for some of us, maybe you're on a plan and you have a great detailed plan. Um, we're gonna just pray that the critics don't get to you, you know, that people that try to pull you away. Um, even in the beginning of scripture, it was the serpent that came in and started to be the critic. Has God really said, start to doubt what God said and the purpose and the plan. And so we gotta come against that. And so we wanna do that this morning. So for you this morning, whatever it is, just kind of bow your heads, close your eyes and think about that. And then I'm just gonna pray out a bunch of things and whatever's for you, grab it and hold on to it and make it real in your heart. And uh, God will do a work for you. So God, we love you so much this morning. Lord, I thank you for everyone here. Lord, that made church a priority this morning, made it through the roads, dusted off their cars, all of those things in the natural. But God, they, they took a step in the supernatural. They took a step, step towards you. They took a step towards a God who who knows more and sees more and can do more than we would ever ask or think. So God, I pray that you just encourage and you speak life and you, you project us, you give us vision towards the things that you created us to do. Lord, we don't wanna be like Lamentations that in our life it said, hey, we got way off course because we didn't consider what God wants to do in our life. We wanna be people who consider how we can serve you, how we can love you, how we can bring glory to your name. God, I pray for anyone in here who maybe deals with doubt or deals with their past or deals with how they were raised or how they weren't raised. Maybe critics, maybe past failure. 
God, I, I just speak this morning to everyone in here that, that deals with those. I want to speak a word from God that says it's done. Like those days are over. Scripture says that, behold, he makes all things new. So leaving here today, it's not a part of your story. It's not a part of where you're going. Leave it at the cross today. Speak life this week as you go forward. Speak that you have a tremendous destiny. Speak that, that God is for you and no one can be against you. Though you may notice between the conception and creation, there may be struggle, but God is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. But we thank you that you can do that this morning because you, you have great plans towards us to give us a future and a hope. We know that's what Jeremiah says. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. If you're in here this morning and you've never prayed a prayer of salvation, you've never asked God to come into your lives, you've never asked him, you've never decided to become a Christ follower, go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes again. I wanna pray with one more group. If you're here this morning, you say, man, today I need to choose God. I, I, need, to, I need to make a life change. I need to consider destiny and eternity. And I wanna, I wanna be a Christ follower. If that's you here this morning, it's a simple prayer. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna have you come forward. All I'm gonna have you do when I count to three is raise your hand. That way I can just acknowledge you and pray for you. And uh, again, no one's gonna be looking around. But this morning, you know you need a change and you know God is somebody who can help bring you that change. With nobody looking around, when I count to three, just raise your hand. Anybody in here? One, two, three. Put your hand up so I can pray for you. I see that hand. Anybody else? Right on. Awesome. Let me pray for you this morning. Let's all repeat this prayer. We'll just all say it out loud together. Um, multiple people raise their hands, so we'll be in this together. Let's all just say this out loud. Say, God, today I choose you. I'm leaving the things of my past, and I'm walking with you. I choose you as my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be made new. In Jesus' name.